and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as a crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Jarrah. Hello! And Grace. Hey! And our guest Shar. Hello! Shar is back with us, I think for the first time since we talked about Year of Hell, right? It's been a long time, and it's very good to be back, so thanks for having me. Absolutely. You are one of our go-tos when it comes to Voyager and Janeway. (laughs) I am always (laughs) down to talk Voyager and Janeway. Do you want to give a, a short introduction of yourself? Sure, I can do that. Well, speaking of Voyager, if you know who I am, it's probably because I hosted a podcast about Voyager for four years called To the Journey. To the Journey! Nice. (laughs) My co-host Tristan Riddell and I, we did 190 episodes and four years of that show. And when we started feeling like we were broken records, we decided to wrap it up and go on to other things. But I still love Voyager. I'm still down to talk about it all the time. A lot of love for that show. It's the one that I watched from start to finish, you know, from beginning to end as it aired. That was my first Star Trek series where I did that. So it has a very specific nostalgic place in my heart. Awesome. So if you hadn't gotten the point, we're going to be talking about Voyager and Janeway. What? (laughs) This is another one in our Oh, Captain, My Captain series where we talk about our captain's love interests. And uh, Janeway is actually the last one we're getting to of shows that have finished airing. So for the rest of the series, I'll just quickly run down. We talked about Kirk in episode six, Picard in 26, Archer in 63, and Cisco in 105. We also talk about, specifically about Mosaic, the, the book about Janeway's life before Voyager and her relationships that appear in that book in episode 30. And Janeway as a whole, as a character in episode 10. So there's lots of background coming into this one. But before we jump into this as our main topic today, we do want to remind you about our Patreon. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some awesome rewards from thanks on social media, up to silly watch-along commentaries or special non-Trek podcast episodes. Uh, Lately, we've been opening our watch-alongs to all of our patrons while many of us are in self-quarantine. And it's been a lot of fun, I think, for a lot of people. So come and join us on Patreon. You can visit us at patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I ask Char a question? Yeah. So when we do watch-alongs, we have decided for the period of quarantine that we're only doing ridiculous episodes. So which Voyager episode should we do for a watch-along? Yeah. Are there any specific criteria to define ridiculous? Keep it wacky. <laughs> like, like not stressful. So we did, like, move along home. We did masks. Okay, okay. I would nominate maybe Elogium. Mm. Oh, you know, I think we did an episode on Elogium. But what about maybe like a Captain Proton one? Oh, absolutely. Bride of Chaotica. That could be a fun one. Sure. Yes, definitely. That's good, lighthearted fun. Oh, we forgot Chaotica in this list of Captain Janeway's love interests. (laughs) (laughs) 
Also, I feel like that's a watch-along episode that I could justify dressing up for. Heck yeah. I mean, I don't think people would see it, but I think people would feel it in my performance. Were you going to dress as a box robot? I was thinking more Arachnia the Spider Queen. Who else would I be? (laughs) Jared, do you think I'm a box robot? No, that's just the only costume I have the capability of making (laughs) from the stuff in my house. (laughs) Get crafty. This is the time to get crafty. (laughs) I will be the box robot. I fully believe that Grace can make a very accurate Bride of Chaotica costume, Arachnia costume, (laughs) with the stuff in her house. I mean, what do you expect, really? (laughs) I mean, those are my pajamas, practically. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here's another one. Here's another nomination is Tinker Ten or Dr. Spy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your only cosplay one. option really is the ECH. Yeah. Yeah. I can make that work. Oh, man. I pretty much have that costume. <laughs> there you go. Done. So be on the lookout for some of those coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But let's jump into this. We are going to uh, structure this one kind of like we structured the discussion when we talked about Picard's love interests. In that, we will go through chronologically sort of like the one-off characters and then come back to people that you see more often that are our regular ships with Captain Janeway. So, but very first, to introduce the whole thing, with Janeway, unlike with our other captains, there is another discussion that is a sexist discussion about whether she should even be in a relationship. We saw a lot of comments come back to us when we put our, our questions out on social media about how Janeway should not be involved with a member of her crew or should not be involved with anybody because it undermines her her rank as captain. And someone even said it lowers her. Mm-hmm. This was never a concern in the comments with any of our other captains. Yeah. So, hmm. so let's start here. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I would say that, like, I have some consideration for the argument that a captain shouldn't necessarily be in relationships with people that report to them. That said, we have talked about love interests for almost every other captain of people who report to them. Mm-hmm. And that argument almost never came up except for, you know, when it was raised in the context of the show, like with Nella Darren. Sorry, Sue. <laughs> I can hear her name. It's fine. Um, but like when the show acknowledges that this is a conflict for the captain, but it's almost never acknowledged as a potential like consent issue for the person who's the subordinate in that relationship. That said, I think like having an argument that like this lowers her and stuff is not accurate, at least, and especially not from a perspective of today, whereas we could understand in 1995 with all the pressure that was on this character how like that double standard existed. I can see that there might be an argument that the audience would view this captain differently, but for to imply that a member of the crew would is is something I just don't agree with. Same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also really do not like the fact that in Voyager itself, Janeway says she cannot be involved with any members of her crew because the Starfleet manual says so. Oh, really? Since when? Apparently since Picard and Lieutenant Darren, because that didn't seem to be too much of an issue for them, now did it? Yeah, is this like the prime directive wherein it only really applies for when the plot calls for it this week, or what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's one thing to have Janeway say, 
look, I don't want to get involved with anybody on the ship because the responsibility is too great or whatever. It's her choice as opposed to throwing the book out and saying, nope, can't do it. I also really like yeah. uh, dislike the u- uh, usage of the term lowering her to as if uh, Janeway as a woman in command by having romantic and sexual relationships, that idea of that lowering her is pretty messed up in terms of, again, it's an expectation we don't have of male characters. And also the idea that having relationships is a lowering thing of specifically a woman in authority's value. That that smacks really sexist to me <laughs> in terms of, um, so we have female archetypes and we have female characters and we have female people and the idea that these uh, people have to be held to this archetypical standard, which means they don't have actual relationships with anyone, is kind of ridiculous. It is. Yeah, there were also a, a handful of comments that said Janeway shouldn't have relationships because she's a mother to her crew. Yeah, that's another big part of that. The fact that Janeway as a character and as the first woman lead in Star Trek has all of these different archetypes she's meant to fill. And we see it happen a lot with her characterization changing depending on who's writing the episode or what the plot is. It can be pretty inconsistent. And I think this is a really good example of it being like, there's a there's an unwritten standard that it doesn't seem like the writers can fully agree on for her. I think right. this is the mid to late 90s talking hardcore, because I think the writers struggled with this issue in that they didn't really know how they wanted to write a woman character in this sense. I mean, is she less of a woman by not having relationships? Is she too soft if she does? Is she a sex symbol? Is she our virgin queen? <laughs> what is she? Or or is she a mother? Yeah. And in which case, if you see mother having sex, that's gross. Yeah, so then what? exactly. <laughs> and then there's this stereotype. Well, that's not a stereotype, but it was a mindset of the 90s. I remember my own mother wanting to be this person, the superwoman, mm-hmm. where women were having careers yeah. and they were having kids and they were in relationships and they were trying to have it all. And... You know, in some ways, I feel like maybe that was a missed opportunity for Janeway to relate to that segment of an audience for these women who were trying to do this and be successful in all aspects of their lives. But instead, they kind of wanted to write her as just kind of this machine. Yeah. Well, there's also a writing trope that I I like to bring up a lot when we're discussing female characters and roles of authority. And there's this kind of unspoken rule in terms of your single female character. And that is that she either can be successful in her job or successful in her romantic life. And apparently you can only be one or the other if years and years of rom-coms and primetime TV are to be believed. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. It's also, um, I think, tied to this idea that if a woman is in a heterosexual relationship, that somehow, like, her desires or, like, goals in life are supposed to be subordinate to the man's. And, the like, you know, you see this with, like, until very recently discussions of, like, well, you know, you couldn't expect a guy to be the first husband. Exactly, yeah. Like that um, her being in a role of control would put whoever she's in a relationship with in the, uh, in the underdog situation. Yeah, and it used to be until very recently that when you were, like, canvassing voters – that you would basically just be told to assume that if you talk to the man of the house or, even, yeah. you know, remember like those telemarketing calls for like the man of the house or survey calls <laughs> that they represented the opinions of everyone in the yeah. house. 
Yeah. So that's like, it doesn't lower a guy to have a relationship because they retain their will. But like a woman in a heterosexual relationship loses her free will. And again, the fact that we've got a sort of shallow dating pool for Janeway to choose from here. (laughs) Shallow in more ways than one. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to pain me to say, but there's probably would be this idea that if she was in a relationship, he would also be demeaned by having, you know, his love interest be in a higher role of authority than him. Totally. And what Char said a little bit earlier, like it's gross to see mom having sex or (laughs) think of mom having sex. It would definitely be gross to see mom having sex. (laughs) 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 But that, that was, was Kate Mulgrew's reasoning as well. Mm -hmm. And she's quoted in the 50 year mission as a saying, I'm the one who said no sex, no sex. The young male demographic was our biggest, strongest demographic. 18 to 30 year old men were not going to like it. And she goes on to describe how, you know, she was in her childbearing years and had children of her own. And and she thought their main demographic would be grossed out by Captain Janeway having relationships. Uh, Kate, don't sell yourself short. And that, that was her main reasoning for, for saying that she did not want Janeway in relationships. Yeah, I, I struggle with this a lot. I understand her reasoning, why she went there, and especially in the context of the time. I do wonder... If today, if they were making Voyager, if her answer would be different and if her character would be written differently, I would hope so. Gotta wonder, yeah. I would certainly hope so. But I have i don't know. Watching the show, I feel like, yeah, okay, it's sci-fi. A lot of men do watch this show, but a lot of women watch Voyager too. And so we're just going to completely ignore them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would actually like to see those demographics that they were yeah. talking about and see Me too. how true that because is. Because I have a feeling more women were watching Voyager than men 18 to 30. I've always got to wonder about the perceived demographic versus the actual demographic. Especially with Star Trek. Especially with yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> For sure. I really do want to believe that some of our attitudes about older women and, well, she's not even that much older than what we consider a standard woman on TV at this point, but just the idea of women in, quote, their childbearing years and sexuality. I want to believe we've evolved since then. But you, again, I, I I would be guessing at this point that um, they would allow her a little more free reign if Voyager was made today. There's one other um, quote from, from Mulgrew directly that I want to bring up, where she said, I begged Berman to explore her loneliness throughout the course of the series. And he touched on it, but not to the level I wanted him to. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, there's a positive spin we saw from some commenters too, which is was basically just like, I really like that Janeway never needed a love interest. Carol says there were some here and there, but the show focused more on how she came to decisions and ran the ship, more problem solving and less romantic entanglements. There's no problem with romance, of course, but I like that it wasn't a part of her worth as a woman and a leader. And like, likewise, I, I don't think that any character should have to be depicted with a sexuality mm-hmm. or should have to be um, have, you know, a certain amount of sex or love in a show that like all humans are individually different on these metrics. But I think that the rest of the show told us she's straight and she enjoys sex, but it was so very occasional and so very infrequent Mm -hmm. compared to the male captains and the narratives around it were so much different. And we can at least be grateful that the character's arc isn't dependent on her romantic arc. 
which I think yeah. we see a lot in a lot of female-led shows, a lot of this idea of by the time they get the end, they get the man, and that's their happy ending. But no, Janeway's got other shit to deal with here. <laughs> she's a little busy. Yeah, she's a scientist. She's in Starfleet. She's got bigger fish to fry, which isn't to say she isn't allowed to have love interests if she doesn't want them. It's just that's not the primary arc of the character. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that romance is maybe not a high priority for her. Yeah. And on that note, let's talk about some of these guys. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, let's. So we will start with Mark Johnson, her fiancé at the start of the show. Mr. Whitebread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Voyager, at least to me, heavily implies that Janeway is staying loyal to a monogamous relationship with Mark for the first four years of the show, at least until she gets her Dear Jane letter, Dear Janeway letter in Hunters in season four. It would be pretty amazing, though, if she like was like, oh, I guess I'm never seeing him again, at least not for 70 years. And then he gets a letter like, my darling, I've been waiting for you. I've been loyal. <laughs> She's like, oh, not comfortable. Instead, he's been courting somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just would like to see that vice versa. Because screw Odysseus. She's like, but do I have to tell him at all of the about all of the times I've been making out with Lord Burley in the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> but is it cheating if it's a hologram? Let's have that debate. I mean, Tuvok got to ask that, so why not Janeway? Exactly. <laughs> Grace, you just made a allusion to Odysseus. I did. And we have a really great comment from Ben on Facebook. Yeah, I was hoping we could get to that. Ben on Facebook says, but when looking at Voyager as a reflection of the Odyssey, Janeway begins as a combination of Odysseus and Penelope. She's smart and capable, but also remains chaste to her lost lover, Mark. Although thousands of years later, it is interesting that when the male lover is the one waiting at home, he gets to move on. Yet Penelope is never allowed that chance. Just something I think about when discussing Janeway's romances. And I absolutely agree with that. And I absolutely have a lot of opinions on the fact that when you're looking at the original subject matter of the Odyssey, they make a really, really big show of, yeah, Odysseus is out there. He's getting it. He's hooking up with Cersei. And then as soon as he gets home to his wife, who's been literally having to fend off guys trying to get at her, he's like, but you were loyal to me, right? And that's kind of the, wow, screw you moment. <laughs> totally. What is interesting is that Janeway and Mark both did kind of hang on yeah. for a good while. He did move on eventually. But I always felt that Mark was a nice, convenient excuse for Janeway the longer things went. Yeah. Well, Mark is safe. Yeah. Definitely. Mark is a very safe option for her. He's non-threatening white bread man who has her dog. He's he's like a comfy sweater. Yeah, seriously. He's responsible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, he'll take care of the dog. He's got a nice steady job that keeps him at home. He's reliable. <laughs> Not a whole lot of excitement there, but and probably a nice grounding steady force when she's out doing Starfleet exciting adventure on the seat of your pants kind of things. Well, also think about what I was saying earlier about that dynamic of woman character can have a successful romantic life or a successful career. If we have it just kind of that box ticked of, oh, yeah, she's got a nice guy waiting for her back home then we can focus on her career and maintain that sort of dichotomy there. Uh-huh. Knowing that Mark is waiting for you at home is like knowing that you're going to have to make dinner soon and you have a can of soup in the cupboard. 
so unfulfilling. It's like waking up and remembering that you've got a cold cup of tea on your desk that you can drink as soon as you're out of bed. (laughs) What did Mark ever do to you? (laughs) It's not what he did to us. It's that he never did anything for us. So I I have to admit that my opinion is largely shaped by partly the book Mosaic, which we talked about in our book club, where it felt sort of like, uh, it was a lot of bad relationships. But when I first watched this as a kid, I was just like, he's so old and he (laughs) wears sweaters. Like, she's my idol. Why is she like waiting for this? She can do better. That's the big thing. She can do better. Yeah, that that was like my idea as a kid. Although I will say that our listener curator on AO3 on Twitter, and I had a lovely chat before this show, and she raised a really good point that the scene in Caretaker where she's chatting with Mark is like really the only scene that we have of her before she gets flung into the Delta Quadrant and is basically put under incredible stress for the entire rest of the series. So that's like the only kind of authentic relationship-y scene that she has where that really gets to see where we get to see her at ease that's like separate from all of this like stress and power dynamics and you know all the thoughts about what are the implications that she has to deal with the rest of the series. That's a really good point. I also like the comment we got on Twitter from user Eukaryote who wrote, I really like the idea of her starting the series already knowing whom she loved, already having given her given her heart, and for that love to be strong and enough to last. That's a nice idea, though, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Had they been going on only a couple of years, that would have been really sweet. Would have been. <laughs> would have been. Would have been. Yeah. And then they could have reunited, been happily ever after. Cool, whatever. That's not how it went. And happily ever after with Janeway living with the trauma of seven years in the Delta Quadrant with Neelix. On the flip side, <laughs> having that relationship like in their back pocket was an excuse for the writers. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there are definitely points on either side of that. But moving on from Mark. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Easily done. Bye, Mark. <laughs> the next one we really get to, and there's like, is this anything? It would be Lord Burley. <laughs> From the Janeway Lambda program. Lord Burley. Well, this, okay, wait, there are things to unpack here because this explores (laughs) Janeway's loneliness, right? It does, yeah. This guy puts the moves on her and ultimately it's really just about her, her desire to be back with Mark. Because she does miss him. Or the desire just to be with a partner. Right. To be with anybody, probably. Even if he's... A, uh, basically, he's a cut-rate Mr. Rochester. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Jane Eyre. I appreciate Lord Burley in that he sort of sets in motion what we get to see happen later with Fairhaven and the follow-up to that. We feel like that little seed is planted here, at least. Mm. Which is all I can really say about Lord Burley as a character. Yeah, I mean, in, in the holodeck program... I mean, I would even say it's less of a program and more of a hollow novel, right? That's how yeah. she refers to yeah. it. Yeah. So she, it's literally a self-insert here. <laughs> she is mm-hmm. she is playing the part of this character whom Lord Burley is in love with. He's not in love with Janeway, and Janeway is not in love with him. Yeah, true. I'll take any excuse, though, to make fun of the Byronic hero, though. <laughs> Screw them. I, I You know, I, I hate to 
really rag on it because I know that this is one of those things that that people toss out as like an example of like, oh, Janeway, like, you know, look at her and her like silly period hollow hollow novels kind of thing. Like Dixon Hill isn't any sillier than this. Yeah, exactly. And like very worth pointing out that it's partly dismissed because it's considered like a feminine silly thing, even though, like you said, like all the hollow deck things are silly. Yeah. But yeah, also, um, we did miss one on the list, which is Gathoral Laban from Prime Factors. Oh, creepy guy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, screw him. Ew, no. (laughs) Yeah, don't screw him. That's my recommendation. Tell him to go screw himself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Harry, for cutting in at that very important moment. Thank you, Harry. Yeah. Harry does not get yeah. enough credit for anything no. on the show. Yeah. That said, can we do a Patreon exclusive episode where we examine all the love interests of Harry Kim? Oh, poor guy. And the opening music can just oh, be poor Harry. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Let's see, who do we have? Libby, a cow. Maggie, yeah. The girl that he got this space STD from. <laughs> this is not a good list. Seven. The girls on that planet and where they convince him that he's actually from there. Oh right! Goodness, he's got a great track record. Exactly. That's why I'm thinking this is something we should do. (laughs) One of the Delaney twins that doesn't really like him. (laughs) Yeah, but the um, Prime Factors creepy guy is notable for, as a curator pointed out to me, that in this episode, Seska kind of slut shames Janeway behind her back for being so infatuated with the Sicarian magistrate she can't think straight. (laughs) Like Seska has any room to talk. Hot kettle black. Yeah. Uh, Seska, why don't you clean up your own house before you start judging other people's? Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. So, do we move on? Please. So. Yes. <laughs> I still have creepy guy in my head. Let's move on. Cleanse please. the palate. Cleanse the palate. Pass the brain bleach, please. It only gets creepier. We move on to everyone's favorite omnipotent being. Q. Q. I, I will say that I love the character dynamic between Q and Janeway and the fact that he's trying to constantly be like, omnipotent being, check me out, look how fabulous I am, and she's just not impressed. Right, so like, for me, this is not like a real romantic relationship. Oh, heck no. Right? No, or no, no, or no. love interest in any way. This is totally like Q being, this annoys her, so I'm going to keep it up. <laughs> That's all this is. (laughs) Yes, this is him wanting someone he cannot have. Yeah, this is him just being a pain in the ass by nature. But does he even? See, I I don't think that he does want her. I think he wants to annoy her. (laughs) He's still looking for his new Picard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is very cute. I guess the difference is, you know, he never suggested that Picard should carry his baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. You and I are reading different fanfics. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. No, I've read that yeah. one. <laughs> then you know it wasn't a joke. That's amazing. <laughs> There's fanfic for everybody out there. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's a lid for every pot. Yeah. I don't know. When I was little, I really liked this episode and I thought it was really funny. Now I'm just like, can we not have a Civil War thing mm-hmm. where we like that is entirely about white people yeah civil war a little oddly specific for you know thousands of years in the future also the whole fact that it's all about a guy 
who a woman is not interested in trying to like put on this pretense of romance and stuff like let's have a baby that's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable that it's also played comedically also does does he just like is this the second woman he's ever met after vosh you gotta wonder and he's just like okay vosh is out he met beverly and turned her into a dog right he's met yar right Okay. He doesn't have a great like, track record. Yeah, that's true. And Janeway, Janeway does have the qualities that he mentions. You know, she's smart. I, I actually am like more annoyed about her having to be like have Q2 dumped on her than I am about <laughs> the Q and the Gray stuff. Well, is that really that much of a surprise? Q is not exactly the most responsible person. God, no. No. That's part of what I think makes him and his relationship with Susie Plaxon Q meant like work from what we see of it like oh these two disasters they're just going to be dramatic together for all time (laughs) yeah and then of course they have to have a kid of course their kid is double disaster exactly and that's why i have a i'm fond of the chap (laughs) (laughs) i'm fond of that family what can i say shall we jump to season five and talk about counterpoint oh hell yes this is kashik or as i like to call him wookie planet (laughs) (laughs) If he had two more Ys in his name. <laughs> That's a sick deep, deep cut right there. Look, no, I have been, I've been watching a lot of Voyager this weekend. And not only is this guy basically named Kashik, even though they pronounce it Kashik, there's another episode I watched doing my research where they meet up with a ship called the Bothan. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is happening? Persistence of vision. Yes. There's a lot of crossover. What is happening, Voyager? <laughs> I mean... He always just makes me think of the serial Cashy. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. Except for he's a lot less good for you. <laughs> he's good for you, but so bad. <laughs> exactly. So I think maybe I, I could be wrong here, but I think Counterpoint is in general like a really well-regarded episode. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those episodes where reading the description and like the vague impression of what I was getting going into it, I was like, oh. Oh, this is gonna this I'm not usually into any romantic intrigue plots, but this just blew me out of my fucking seat. I mean I didn't know if my chair had a back because I was on the edge of it. I got <laughs> I got so into this episode the first time I watched it. I'm pretty sure people heard me yelling from the other room. And I, I'm I still get fired up over this one. <laughs> and it's the first time that Janeway's not had the mark excuse. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Also, like, that kiss they have is, like, significant Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very dramatic. So dramatic. But yeah, I feel like it's generally regarded as one of the best Voyager episodes yeah. and certainly one of the best Janeway episodes. And um, it's a real game of cat and mouse. So good. And the actors, I think, both have chemistry. Oh, such and- chemistry. At least the first time you watch it, like, I feel like it's genuinely, you don't know what to expect. Oh, heck yeah. You are expecting the unexpected and it delivers. Yeah, they both, like, quadruple cross each other. It's amazing. I love it. (laughs) It it is. It really is. I had no idea Mm -hmm. who was, you know, using whom for what the first time I watched this episode. It went back and forth and back and forth. And every time I thought I had the story figured out, it took a turn. Yeah. And mm-hmm. completely subverted all my expectations. That's why it's a good story. Mm-hmm. So they, we had a comment from Lens on Facebook who wrote, I feel like they both used their romantic attraction to get what they wanted from each other, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, 
but it was never a serious relationship. How do we feel about that? Was it? Was there real feelings? It was a means to an end. I agree with that. Well, even if it wasn't, serious doesn't necessarily, relationship not being serious doesn't necessarily mean it isn't intense. It can be, it can be shallow and still be incredibly, you know, passionate. But I I think the point of the comment is that there were no real feelings there. Which I'm not sure I believe. I, I don't think I believe that either. Yeah. It was quick and dirty, emotion-wise. It, it sort of <laughs> reminds me of, of uh, the Enterprise incident. And I think you could you could say the same there about Spock. But clearly, like, there was something there. And it wouldn't have worked if it was totally acting. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's how yeah. I read it. Is like, the, they're at, at minimum, they have the hots for each other. For their brains and their bodies. (laughs) They got brain boners for each other. (laughs) Does anybody have anything else on the Wookiee? Just woof. (laughs) Woof. I'm sorry. I will stop doing that now. (laughs) Um, Because we're going to stop talking about him now. And visit Fairhaven. Michael Sullivan. Oh. Oh, boy. Here we go. Fairhaven. What a fair haven. We all know this one. Janeway, you know, falls in love with the bartender and then changes him to be exactly what she wants and then leaves him behind. I think the thing that annoys me the most is that she is intrigued and interested in him first. And then she goes and, like, makes him smarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of, of all the modifications that she makes to this program, like, she changes his height. She, yes, she deletes the wife. Delete the wife. But, like, the thing that annoys me the most is that she gives him a better education. Quote, a better education. And, like, for some reason, that sticks in my craw. That's a little classist there, Janeway. (laughs) So delete the wife doesn't top the list? Delete the wife (laughs) is a great moment. I mean, delete the wife is terrible. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But, like, I, I feel, like, very offended that she felt the need to be like, you know what? He needs to be smarter for me. Well, isn't that kind of how initial attraction works? You're intrigued by what you see there. And then you, or at least from a lot of relationships that I've seen play out, you are attracted by what you see there initially. And then the more you discover, the more you're like, oh, okay, caveat, caveat. Okay, let's see if I can change you a little bit to make you see the thing I'm looking for here. Yada yada compromise and I would be the wrong person to ask about how attraction works. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying relationships can work like that, and that's not always for the best, but it is sometimes how that just how they go. I think that it had some good concepts. I mean, maybe the just the stereotypey Irish town was not the best part of the like was not the best concept. No, I would not argue in for it. I like what you're saying, Grace, about that idea as as like a a device to explore how we expect to change or change others in relationships. I think it just maybe got, yeah, it was it was a little bit easy to laugh at. Oh, very easy. Oh, Amanda sent us um, a clip of Kate Mulgrew from the DVD material talking about her relationship, or she calls it slightly untenable. (laughs) (laughs) Just slightly. That's the nicest uh, way to describe it. Well, Also, looking at the initial plot of this episode, I think we can probably take a minute and look at the fact that we have 
there's this archetype of the bossy woman in media, and if she gets a nice guy boyfriend, she will try and change him to what she wants. I think we see that pop up a lot. And I got to question whether this uh, plot, even if I'm talking about the relationship dynamic that we lo- talked about earlier, if it kind of fl- plays into that stereotype of Janeway being the bossy woman who will try to change a guy she's in a long-term relationship with. Maybe, but then why wasn't she working on Mark? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) He seemed malleable. Is there a Mark holodeck program out there that we don't want to know about? You know, that would be interesting if this was not her first kind of time out with the holodeck. (laughs) This isn't her first rodeo, so we got to wonder. You know, okay, that got me thinking this... The very idea that she would maybe have a romance with a holodeck character, I don't think is too far out of line because by season six, she has got to be a little lonely. And let's yeah. be honest, okay, I don't want to be crass. Do it. But basically, Michael Sullivan is just a really fancy sex toy. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to shame her for that. I really am not. No. No. No, I think that's very healthy. And this is one of the few options she is actually giving herself. So bravo for exploring it. It's just the thing is, it's not a real relationship. No, but it can be like a security blanket relationship. This episode brings up a lot of questions about the holodeck and holograms, yeah. right? Because, I mean, like when Tuvok goes through Ponfar, yeah. he exactly. eventually winds up going to the holodeck. And like, fine, great, good for you. But like the doctor is even encouraging Janeway, like, so what? He's a hologram, go for it. But he's not a sentient hologram like the doctor is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. This is He's not on a level as the doctor. Yeah. Right. Even though the doctor is still encouraging it. If he were on a level of the doctor, then delete the life would be even more egregious <laughs> than it already is. Right. You've also got to wonder yeah. if these characters have the potential to evolve further, like Moriarty style, if right. they could become fully realized life form, given the chance. But also when she realizes that she has the complete control and can change him any way she wants in the blink of an eye, that's when she walks away. Interesting, isn't it? So that's interesting. But I think there's also something maybe to be said about how, you know, those impulses to like really try to change people that that could be associated to with knowing that it can't end up being a long term relationship with another sentient being. And she, at least all the scenes we see, it's like, oh, I want him to read poetry to me. I want to dance. Like, presumably there are sexy times too, but, you know, maybe she is really emphasizing the fact that he still isn't perfect enough because she knows that it ultimately can't succeed. And she's like looking for reasons that it's not ideal. Is it too good to be true? Nope. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I got was the fact that she can customize this guy to be anything that she wants him to be, and yet it's not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Well, what's that old Twilight Zone episode with the guy getting everything he wants and then realizing, oh, shit, I'm in hell. Kind of like that. But this is a, a question that Star Trek comes back to often, which is our holodeck relationships real? Mm-hmm. I think where we end up often is like you experience them as real. Your feelings about them are real. They can be real to you. Right. So so what makes them, therefore, not real? I mean, we had this with Minuet. We've had this a few other times. Yeah, we just we keep asking that question with Irish seasides now, apparently. I would really love it if we could share this quote from Linz on Facebook about this episode, saying, The whole episode with the hologram boyfriend made me think Janeway is queer even more. 
She literally had a handmade boyfriend she could change into anything she wanted, and even he wasn't good enough for her. Reminds me of me as a young woman attempting to date men and wondering why it never worked out. And then I dated a woman, and it was so much better. (laughs) And I appreciate that from hearing a lot of people's queer experiences in terms of, oh, no, they were perfectly nice guys I was dating. There was just always something wrong with them. And then I dated a woman. It's like, oh, that's what was wrong. (laughs) I appreciate that a lot. And sadly, in the 90s, Star Trek was still too afraid to explore sexuality like that. I know. Well, and we'll we'll get into that more in a minute. But uh, let's maybe finish with the one-offs and and talk about Jaffin from Workforce. Ooh, yes. Oh, you mean Mark 2.0? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's actually a good point that I meant to raise, which is also that she never we never see her with someone who's like younger than her or really really close to the same age as her. And this would also be another Hollywood double standard at work where it is very common to see leading men in relationships with younger Mm -hmm. women and not very common the other way around and that women are often judged as cougars for trying it. True. Double standards ahoy. But Jaffin seems like an okay dude. Yeah, he seems all right. He's fine. There's another question here about since this is not her, uh, since she doesn't have her memories, is this really Janeway? That is a good question, yeah. It is. So you got to wonder how much their relationship dynamic would work if she did have her memories. And if by that token, they were actually in a relationship at all. I mean, (laughs) after the fact, she seems to remember her experiences with him to the point that she invites him to to join the crew with the caveat that, well, but if you're a crew member, we can't have a relationship. So Janeway seems to think it would be would have been reasonable to want to carry on with him wouldn't that be great though if she just made up the whole oh yeah as captain i can't be in a relationship you're welcome to come on board as a friend though just to be like yeah i like you but i don't like you we're getting a little too mirror universe there (laughs) i mean i would argue that she doesn't know what she's getting into when she gets into that relationship but she doesn't know who she really is so therefore it isn't really her I definitely agree that it seems like she has some very strong feelings for him by the end of it. But to be fair, the best mental health professional she has available to help her with all these things is the doctor. So I don't know that she also has like a lot of really good friend or expert guidance to deal with these types of situations. For sure. She's also, as the highest ranking member of the ship, she probably doesn't have a lot of people who she can like go to... And be like, hey, can you? Can I confide in you and not have you judge me in any way, shape, or form? Like, I would probably go through a major crisis if I found out that I was, like, engaged to a guy and not knowing who I was the entire time. Yeah. Like, that would be traumatic. Voyager really needed a counselor. Yeah. yeah. Really bad. <laughs> they sent Barclay into the ship and they should have sent Troy. So I think it's time. It's time for the biggin. I think it's time to get to our ships. Oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. And we shall we shall begin with the big one and end with a big one. And there are two little ones in between. <laughs> but we're gonna start with Chicote. Chicote. Okay. Chuckles. It definitely felt like this was the most popular among our listeners who were shouting out their ships. For sure. Certainly, this was my first, among my first ships. I was like, Janeway Chicote and Sailor Moon Tuxedo Mask were my first two ships. Nice. And never the twain shall meet. 
Janeway and Chakotay. That was one of my very first relationships, too. It was Janeway and Chakotay, and I was also discovering the internet for the first time and discovered what fanfic was. Mm. And that only emphasized that a whole lot more. I was uh, firmly entrenched elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we say? I I would say that, correct me if I am wrong, because there are bigger JC shippers here than me, uh, but I would say that some of the key episodes for this ship that people point to are, of course, Resolutions, Hunters, Timeless, Coda, Basics, Shattered. Yeah? Those are big ones. Timeless has a very good scene, too. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good moments. There's like, you know, even the 37s where they're like, everyone's going to leave us. It's just going to be the two of us. <laughs> like, they're, I mean, the shippers know all yeah. the scenes. But <laughs> yes, there was a website back in the day that reviewed each and every one of them in detail. Oh, my gosh. God bless the internet. I love shippers so much. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so thoughts on Janeway Chicote. I I will go first and and take the burden of saying this one wasn't for me, but I see the appeal. Fair. Fair. It's allowed. Anyone else? (laughs) Well, I did ship them. I shipped them hard. I was (laughs) picking up what they were laying down. And I think what it really boiled down to, I saw what a lot of other people saw even before Resolution aired. And that was the chemistry between Kate Mulgrew and Robert Beltran. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is something there. And they and it got on screen and it just really kind of made the mind wonder, hmm, what if? It doesn't hurt that Janeway is a little touchy-feely, too. Now, she touches all of her crew members, but it's especially special when she touches Chakotay. Yes. <laughs> special, special, special. Are you reading fanfic right now? <laughs> the most fun part about this is now I get to hear what I sound like. <laughs> reading scenes in your head. I get it. Yeah, and then, I mean, Jerry Taylor, she was getting a lot of notes from people writing in saying, hey, these two are, what do you think about this? And she wrote resolutions as kind of an answer for a lot of the women writing in and saying, hey, look, I'm into this. Yeah. And then, of course, they go back and forth and toy with this idea for a long time. And so it ultimately kind of bugs me that they never figured it out. We needed kind of a definitive cutoff point where maybe they'd been, maybe they flirted a little bit back and forth with one another, but we needed to have a definitive moment, I would say in Hunters, after Janeway gets her Dear Jane letter, Mm -hmm. uh, she needs to confront Chakotay. He's in the ready room with her, where Mm -hmm. suddenly she is freed from the shackles (laughs) of the relationship that she does not have waiting for her back home. Well, Chuck, I'm single and ready to mingle. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) that's what she could have said. Like, okay, baby, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But she didn't. And he basically kind of backs down and says, hey, look, you know what? We've got all the time in the world. I'm ready whenever you are. No, 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 no. You're sitting down. Let's have this talk where if she does not want to have a relationship because of command or whatever personal reasons she has, fine. But make that definition. Put it out there. Because they just let it kind of float away in the ether and then it's just kind of, huh? We didn't even get a resolution in resolutions. But can no. we, but, I know. But can we talk about resolutions for a minute there? Oh, please. Yes, let's. yes, we can. Because that is the episode that made me believe, oh, I can see it from, from the shipping <laughs> perspective. That was the one that made me believe. And even though it's temporary and even though it's very circumstantial, but that really does make you ask, well, isn't any relationship that forms on Voyager, like, 
just a bigger version of this of the two people being stuck together trope and we've got exactly we've got a quote here from curator on ao3's article is resolutions romantic if i could share that the quote is two people were forced together forced to confront things and then dumped back into the lives they had mourned whether Janeway and Chicote fell in love or had a few charged moments or anything in between, no one deserves such cruelty of circumstance. This is not romance. It's removal of choices. And isn't that essentially what we're seeing with any relationships that are currently forming on Voyager, just on a bigger scale? Because they're all stuck yeah, together? It's just an even more narrow yeah. version of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel that Chakotay did fall in love with Janeway on the planet, whereas Janeway, yeah, absolutely. definitely a lot slower to warm. She had other priorities. And then when the storm destroys all of her research equipment and she has no choice but to accept their life there, not knowing that Voyager is eventually going to rescue, that's when she starts to see what's right in front of her. Yeah. And it, it does always make me think of those stories that you hear from grandparents and stuff being like, oh, well, I'd barely met him, but, but we chose to marry and then I learned to love him sort of thing. And the idea that mm. that's not a great way to start your relationship, pretty dated. But at the same time, there are people who can learn to like each other and that can be a basis for a relationship. Sure. And yeah, they had a good working relationship. Yeah. It didn't necessarily mean, and, oh, they were primed for romance, yeah. but... Yeah. Yeah. But if they had stayed on that planet together, if Voyager had come back in five years, there would have been like 20 babies running around on that campsite. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that is my firm belief. <laughs> I think Janeway would have embraced this life that she never knew she could have. I think that one of the things that makes this such a popular ship, especially like for when it aired mid 90s, is that it like upends traditional gender roles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she's yeah. definitely the one in authority there. Right. And she's also has a lot of traditionally masculine traits. Like she's yeah. no nonsense. She's she's authoritative. She is all about like science. She's a scientist, and yeah. and Chakotay is much more sensitive and spiritual, and like not in a bad way, but soft. Yeah, yeah. but no, that's why they complement each other so well, both as leaders and as crewmen, and possibly romantic partners. Yes, in all aspects. Yeah, totally. And in um, I I got my uh, academic re- research lens on for this Ooh. one and uh, dug up an article by uh, V. Samogi in the Journal of American and Comparative Culture um, called Complexity of Desire, Jane Michikote Fanfiction. Ah! <laughs> nice. Which does argue that the fact that they have these non-traditional gender traits challenges the standard unequal heterosexual romance and also says that Janeway is powerful and she outranks Chakotay, a fact which fanfic writers and their characters rarely forget. Though Janeway is often rendered vulnerable by external forces or by her acceptance of her own emotions, the fanfic reader can be almost certain that she won't quit her job, end up serving under Chakotay, or take his name. So I thought that was interesting. It certainly reflected what I was interested in when I was going after JC fanfiction. Like, I really liked that generally she didn't have to give up her science and her career and her just being a badass woman in charge and her independence, but that he was there to just have her back no matter what. If anything, he'd be there being like, go, go fight. I'll hold your purse. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and certainly there are episodes or there are fics where uh, that, you know, play more on like damsel in distress kind of tropes or like, you know, curator and I were talking about like, you know, uh, dealing with the problem by like having her be injured or something else that she can't command anymore. And like that, maybe not so ideal, but I think like that was what attracted me to the relationship was 
the fact that they they seem to be able to be a bit more equal. Yeah, honestly, if they had gone this route and if they would have handled it properly, having a relationship with Chakotay would have just been one facet of Janeway's life. She had all these other things going on, and this is just a fulfillment in another area, which is not a bad thing. It doesn't make her weaker. It just makes her a more well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Now, the question was, and I can kind of understand why maybe Mulgrew didn't want them to go down this path, because I would not have trusted these writers to handle it properly either. Mm -hmm. Accurate. We also had a lot of shout outs on social for the Kirsten Beyer novels. Yeah. And the JC relationship. Uh, Shar, did you want to talk about that at all? I will just say that if you are a Janeway and Chakotay relationshiper reading Kirsten Byers' novels, starting with Full Circle and going onward is a very good idea. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> nice. I will say, like, from a now 34-year-old perspective, the, you know, the shine on the relationship is somewhat tarnished. But for me, it's more that it's hard to watch the way that they mishandled the race issue. Because of their bogus indigenous yeah. consultant, and that Ugh. so many of those early episodes, like even resolutions, has the like I'll tell you a legend of yeah. my people, a vague, vague legend. Yeah, like the chemistry was there without any of that stuff. So the fact that it's there in a lot of the episodes that those references are there just like means that you kind of have to take some cringing. But there are also many lovely scenes throughout at least the first four seasons, five seasons that don't have that kind of dynamic. This discussion of whether it could be handled correctly, it just, I'm straying a little bit here, so I apologize, but it makes me appreciate Battlestar Galactica all the more because a sci-fi show Mm. finally did a relationship between two main characters that lasted and was great. Yeah, also Sheridan and Delenn on Babylon 5. Yeah. Mm. It can be done. Just carefully. So, moving on from Chakotay. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. I guess. There uh, were two other pairings that got a few shout-outs and not a whole lot of explanation from people, but we had a few people mention um, Janeway in Paris. Lizard baby daddy. Oh. <laughs> no, not just as, not just from Threshold. Like, people... There are uh, several people who legitimately ship Janeway in Paris. Okay, okay. More, more power to you. And um, a few shout outs for Janeway Bellana too. Mm. Okay, okay. Janeway Paris yeah. definitely reminds me of when I wrote fanfiction about CJ and Josh on the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always found it a little strange to pair Janeway with Paris, Tom Paris, because Tom's dad, Owen, wasn't he Janeway's mentor at the Academy or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's just a little too incestuously small yeah, of a world for me. Yeah. So I don't know about that. But kind of rebellious. <laughs> you can't control me, Dad. I'm going to sleep with your mentor, Dad. <laughs> your mentee, who's still older than me. All right. So we, we come to our other big fanship, and that is Seven of Nine. The big one. Yes. Um, yes. A lot of fanfic on this one. This one people go whole hog for. I asked a friend of mine who was like an OG J7 shipper from like when the show was airing. And uh, she told me that the, the biggest episodes that this part of the fandom looks towards are Dark Frontier and Hope and Fear. Mm-hmm. So I just want to mention that as some examples of that ship. Yeah, this has a, a very big following. I think 
it also, a lot of people point to it. A lot of the, the queer Star Trek community points to this ship as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, I always saw Janeway and Seven having more of a contentious mother-daughter relationship. So I never totally went, I did not go the queer route with this because Seven, in my opinion, was a teenager mentally. Yes. And so for her to have a romance with Janeway was not appropriate. I could make the same argument for Chakotay, but that's another thing. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, that, that, it, that's what it reminded me of, was just kind of a rebellious teenager coming into her own, and Janeway is trying to keep her grounded in more of a motherly role. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I feel like Seven is essentially an adolescent during the run of Voyager. And so I was never personally fully on board with it. We also had um, some Facebook comments Oh, who also said it felt weird and pointed out it felt like grooming. Yeah. Mm. So so that that is one side of, of the debate. There are lots of people who really, really like it. There's definitely interesting character chemistry there in both of their dynamics and the fact that not to say to say uh infantilize seven, but she is rebellious. She's kind of the rebellious child of the situation, but at the same time She's looking to this caring mentor figure. Even with that big age, with that age difference there, there is, there is, that dynamic is dependent on their chemistry, which they definitely have in terms of interaction. Jared, it looks like you did some additional real research as well. I, I did. I wanted to reference a um, an article called Resistance is Not Futile, Liberating Captain Janeway from the Masculine Feminine dualism of leadership in the journal of gender work and organization from 2004 by michelle a bowering and the author does a textual analysis of the slash fiction series just between by gl dart which apparently has like at least by 2001 had about 50 parts and was you know had received fan fiction awards and had numerous numerous positive reviews and this was really interesting and and so the author gets into you know, why J7 is appealing and it, using this particular story as as a case study and says where the television Janeway found herself bouncing between the two sides of a number of dualisms such as weak, strong, controlled, emotional, intuitive, logical, nurturing, ne- needing to be nurtured and demanding given just between Janeway is able to easily be any one of these as the situation requires. And she points out that you know, there was this idea that Janeway couldn't have a relationship because this would compromise her or make her a weaker leader. But in the Just Between fan fiction, uh, the author writes that her relationships with Seven, her relationship with Seven makes her more human, brings her into closer contact with the crew, and ultimately helps her be a better leader. Seven insists that she play, that she connect with others, that she allow herself to step out of the rigid role that she has defined for herself and do what she needs to do in order to heal. So I thought that was interesting and I could totally see that working. Like that is certain, like a dynamic that I could envision mm-hmm. in my head, even though I like generally also saw them kind of in more of a mother daughter role. I think it's really interesting to find out why these fix, uh, ships appeal to different people and the dynamics that people inscribe on these relationships in fan fiction. And I think that is a pretty neat one. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm. Even though I didn't see that with Janeway and Seven, I can see, I can see just how generally that's why it would be beneficial for Janeway to have a relationship. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I think that Seven pushes Janeway, 
And actually, in um, another article I read by Aviva Davibon, she talks about how Chicote and Seven both are really necessary to Janeway's leadership style, um, that they both challenge her and um, support her, and that it's because of both of them that she's able to do what she does. And she says that Chicote and Seven are notably the closest Janeway has to love interests among the crew. Not only do Seven and Chicote remain Janeway's confidants and her most ardent challengers when she steps off the beaten path, but they end up romantically involved with each other, further cementing the bond between the three characters and perhaps allowing Janeway a sort of circuitous sexuality without endangering the tenuous representation of her gender hybridity and feminist authority. Huh? What? So we had a comment that I did not put in the outline, but I remember very strongly that said that this person was convinced that Chicote and Seven got together because they were both crushing on Janeway. Yeah, that's that's that would be the layperson's uh, depiction of that okay. quote that I okay. just read. Basically, it's like she couldn't be with either of them because it would have been too threatening to this like gender structure that they had established. Therefore, they got together, which Kate Mulgrew apparently has taken credit for in some interviews um, for that idea. And that way, at least they both have someone and, you know, she she can sort of like live vicariously through both of them. Okay. <laughs> She's happy if they're happy, huh? Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's about as close to buying that relationship as I think I can get. <laughs> I'm not a Chakotay 7 fan. Well. Okay. (laughs) That's not one of the relationships we're picking apart today. Um, (laughs) Save that for another time. Um, We talked about that a fair amount in our last episode on unpopular opinions. Uh Um, But now that we've seen Queer 7, could I imagine, or like, could we imagine 7 Janeway better? Like, if we imagined it being 7 of the now? I could. With Janeway in the 20... In in Picard era? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe? Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know, though. I don't think those two would last. Janeway's got completely different priorities from Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think now uh, Seven is too roguey. Mm-hmm. I agree. And she's far too used to working on her own. She's left Starfleet behind. I have a feeling Janeway is still somehow involved with Starfleet. So yeah. Janeway's not going to be running around with Seven on Ranger missions. Janeway's far too by the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Maybe they hold a torch for each other, but it's a small one. <laughs> yeah, there's probably, I don't know, some sort of thoughts and feelings there, regard for one another, but in romantic sense, not built to last. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, so then we are going to wrap up for today. Shar, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, the best place to find me is on Twitter, where my handle is oh, the profanity, and I'm always game to talk Voyager or Star Trek or Babylon 5, relationships, fanfic, you name it. Awesome. Jara? I'm on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin, and I'm also at TrekkieFeminist.com. Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, that's B-O-N-E-C-R-U-S-H-E-R-J-E-N-K. And for the next couple of days, up in my room, seeing if I can build myself a Spider Queen costume. <laughs> yes. Awesome. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And to learn more about our show or contact us, you can visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also send us an email at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. 
Thanks so much for listening. 